Today's employers have compliance issues that go far beyond ACA. What do you need to know to effectively advise them? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode is brought to you by MyEdge, the premier provider of Form 5500 prospecting solutions. Employee benefits, property and casualty, and financial professionals all rely on this affordable, easy-to-use, real-time search engine to find their target prospects in both large and small group markets. Visit www.myedge.biz for more information or click on the sponsor link at shiftshapersonline.com. We recently attended the North Carolina Association of Health Underwriters Symposium and had the opportunity to talk about compliance with Karen Kirkpatrick. Karen's the owner of On Your Mark Consulting, and she's also one of the country's leading experts on the subject. Welcome to the podcast, Karen. Thanks, David. Talk a little bit. We ask a lot of our guests about their journey, how they kind of got where they are and how they, you know, where they amassed all the information and the knowledge that they have. What's your path been like? Oh, goodness. All right. So it started in a very non-traditional college trek for me. In five years of school, I amassed probably double of the normal credits that most people have in school. I had no desire to go towards a PhD or a law degree. I just wanted information, wanted to suck it up. Throughout college, probably the last two years of college, I started doing informational interviews. And I did over a 1,000 informational interviews with generally Fortune 500 companies, the CEOs, the presidents, managers of their larger divisions, just wanting information from them. And I took down notes, and my one guarantee to them was that even if they offered me a job, I wouldn't take it because I wanted there to be security in our environment that they could share the information, the challenges that they had, the regulatory environment challenges in managing employees. Went from there to work for a few financial institutions doing some freelance work, again, gathering information and just using it. And then I took a turn and went into the restaurant business. And I was in the restaurant business for seven years. And five years into it, we had our first ICE engagement. And it was on a Saturday night, a three-hour wait. And the ICE agents came in the front door, and I had about 23 employees who went out the back door. And it was my first introduction to the world of what could we have done better on I-9s and documentation, all that stuff. And and here I was running the restaurant, never intending to be non-compliant with anything. It resulted in over a million dollars in penalties in seven of our locations. And I, I had looked at the pictures, looked at the IDs, never even thought in my innocence that somebody would slit a picture, put a new one in put new numbers in, changed the ink, and it opened up this whole world to me. And after seven years in the restaurant business, I started with a a smaller firm in Michigan called Cobra Compliance Systems. Remember them well. Mm Mm-hmm. And intended to be on the speaking circuit with them doing their full-day Cobra seminars in six months. And I studied my butt off. I loved it. You know, the change from college to that environment is I was actually getting paid to do it. 
It's nice. It's a, it's a <laughs> it nice was, when that happens. It was a nice switch. <laughs> I'll bet. And just kept studying. Did Cobra, then we went into HIPAA, and it, it just expanded because so many people said Cobra touches so much. It amended ERISA. What else amended ERISA? And then so many of these things, just the fingers go out and start covering and, and integrating so many other laws, and not just from a federal standpoint, federal and state. And so it caused me to read, on average, about 2,000 pages a month, and, and that's till a future conversation about ACA, where I, I think that probably quadrupled, but just reading the information, and I guess I was blessed with taking it in and translating it at about a sixth grade level and helping people to understand it. You touched on something that's interesting. An awful lot of people, especially in today's environment, a couple of years post-ACA, think that all of the regulation and all the compliance issues that we're dealing with came from ACA. Uh But there have been compliance issues. You mentioned COBRA. What are some of the other areas that advisors need to be aware of as they advise their clients on compliance issues. And I'll address it from this angle. What I hear as the struggle of most benefit advisors today is their clients have put their heads in the sand. They've seen so many delays. They're like, there's another one coming. There's a repeal around the corner. I'm just going to wait it out, even though things are already in full swing. Here we are in 2015. And so advisors have become very challenged with how to keep ACA compliance at the forefront, and they can do it much easier if they go back. If they go back to the foundation, if you realize that ACA amended our tax code, it amended ERISA, it amended the Public Health Service Act, and you look at all the other laws that your clients have been dealing with over the last three, four, five, seven decades, and they also amended those three areas. So all ACA did was come and put a whole new layer of complexity on top of old problems. If advisors have not been dealing with compliance issues up until now, why it's even more important now because I would think they're struggling to try to build more value into their practices as we have commission compression and some of them are going to want to start charging fees for things and mm-hmm. delivering more value if no, for no other reason than to differentiate themselves. Is doing compliance something that the average advisor can and or should do by themselves? Should they do it? Yes, by themselves, no. And I'll start with the E&O. That, that's the first level. When you look at most of the, the qualities of an E&O, they're going to exempt a lot of things surrounding ERISA. And you've got to make sure that, first of all, you are protected as an agency, as well as how your agency employees are representing you. I mean, so often you find that agency employees are not aligned with the owners of the agency in what they're intending to do to protect themselves for E&O. So you might have a a producer who goes out and really extends themselves, answering compliance questions incorrectly, and it totally exposes that agency owner. And they aren't even aware of it because they've never had that conversation. Now, should you do it? Absolutely. Clients are looking to their, their advisors for more compliance information than ever before, and it really has nothing to do with the health and welfare plans. It has to do with everything that touches the health and welfare plans, but nothing to do with the benefits themselves. Interesting. What, uh, In a nutshell, what are some of the things that touches all those benefit plans so that we can help define that? Payroll, basic payroll issues. If you go back to the Fair Labor Standards Act of the 30s, some of the non-compliance areas that the DOL's Wage and Hour Division and even the IRS have been tasking employers with and, and basically assessing penalties going into corrective action plans for years have been with worker classification, 
have been with job descriptions or the lack thereof and with the compensable time. And so all three of those directly impact ACA compliance. Compensable time is how we think of hours of service, tracking eligibility for somebody to be full-time for benefits. But if you don't know what time you're supposed to pay for and are looking just to what's in paychecks, that's a real problem. There's other things that need to be factored in, paid for, that a lot of employers are missing. And even what's in paychecks is often incorrect. And if you're using that to track your hours for ACA, you're already off to a bad start. Not to mention the fact that there have been recent changes in exempt and non-exempt rulings, and and the traditional definitions have changed. And I know a lot of employers, um, I talk to a lot of advisors, and their employers aren't aware of those either. So you're right, there's a ton of stuff. So I'm I'm, an, I'm the average advisor. Mm-hmm. I understand that I've got a couple of drivers here. One, that it's more important than ever for me to start advising my clients about compliance-related issues across the board, not just the craziness of ACA and the, the added nonsense that that's added to everybody's plate. But also because in my own enlightened self-interest, I need to drive more value. I need to have a better value proposition to go and sell than the advisor who's down the hall from me or or across the street from me in my town. How do I start having that conversation with an employer? What does that look like? First of all, this whole conversation of compliance, David, needs to happen off renewal. Get away from that renewal table where it seems like all you're discussing are changes in the benefit plan that may not benefit participants, potentially increases in cost. And historically, it's a pretty volatile environment. And not everybody's coming into that with the right frame of mind to think of a long-term compliance plan. Now, don't get me wrong that the discussions on SPDs and plan documents and 5500 that generally will come at that renewal time and so will summary of benefits and coverage but the overall compliance plan the action plan how the advisor fits into that you're essentially building out a plan with the client that has nothing to do with what you sell on the health and welfare side and it essentially gives you a seat at the table away from those plans a year, three, five years from now. So you are viewed as something other than a commodity. So what do I say to an employer? I'm sitting across from an employer. Let's say it's an existing client who knows me and loves me and, and loves our service and the service my staff provides for them on a regular basis. How do I begin to have that conversation about something I maybe should have been talking to them already about but haven't been but know that I need to? Be honest with them. Let them know that the more you've studied the Affordable Care Act, things have come to light, that you see that employers have been overlooking and had tremendous liability for years, and you want to help your clients prepare for a DOL or an IRS or a pension audit, and you want to do that before the knock comes at the door. And you've developed an actual compliance checklist with them, and it has certain benchmarks that you want to see things achieved immediately because it has the highest liability for the employer. Things six months down the road, you'll come back for a compliance check. You actually task people in the various departments of HR, payroll, and benefits if they're lucky enough to have. All three of those departments are perhaps the CEO or president works with you to do those tasks. And you start determining Who's responsible for taking care of these things? It could be document retention. It could be putting things on a a USB drive. could be securing it elsewhere. So an ERISA attorney's goal, when they're helping their client basically do uh, an audit tree, 
is that by the time the knock comes at the door, it's as simply as plugging in a USB or downloading a lock file from somebody else, and it has this year's plan information, everything they need for the audit, as well as the previous two or three years, and they can deliver it to that auditor within 20 minutes. Now, do they need to develop a strategy for doing this before they start implementing, or should they just jump in? Oh, gosh. The, the strategy comes, and this perhaps goes into a different conversation than we have time for today, but it's the decision of that agency to align themselves more closely with the client's needs as to what will make them successful, reduce their liability, help their business grow, help the client to retain and attract new clientele, new employees, and to secure their future. And in doing so, the broker secures their future as well. So the strategy becomes with the realignment. It might take complete deconstruction and rebuilding of some agency's processes, their service flows and service structure, because somebody has to work to develop the checklist, and then they have to work to be able to go on site with the client and work them through that checklist. And it doesn't mean they need to be the expert in all those areas. It means that they need to know who their resources are to direct them to compliance, to make sure that the documents are being gathered, to make sure that things are being reviewed. Perhaps job descriptions need to be updated. Worker classification needs to be reviewed. They need to be intelligent enough on the various content in the compliance checklist, and that's going to take some realignment in the agency, perhaps some training, perhaps a new hire that comes in and is responsible for that compliance initiative. And imagine just going through a basic DOL, EPSA, the Employee Benefit Security Administration Audit, if you just look at a sample one of those and you start evaluating all the things that your clients need, think about the other services that you could position and perhaps earn a commission on from a third party by working with your client on those solutions. And now a word from our sponsor, MyEdge, the premier provider of Form 5500 prospecting solutions. Want to find prospects in your area without cold calling, but with a warm introduction from a network relationship or from the prospect's accounting firm? How about finding companies that are out of compliance on their Form 5500 filing? What if you could find prospects that are paying more than standard compensation for their products and services? It can be difficult to find dependable business intelligence for both large and small group markets. With MyEdge, you'll have the ultimate unfair advantage. MyEdge makes it easy to create a pipeline of only qualified leads. You'll set yourself apart from the crowd when you know how to build a targeted value-add strategy for the companies you want to work with. Clients and prospects always appreciate when their benefits consultants take the time to understand their employee benefits before they meet. Don't act and sound like everyone else. Learn more about this innovative prospecting solution by visiting www.myedge.biz or by clicking the sponsor link at shiftshapersonline.com. You have a phrase that you use, and I, I just I really love it, and I'd like you to talk about it a little bit because I think it discusses it. It plays to the strategy and the discussions we've had so far. If you're a benefit advisor, of how you go about doing this, how you strategize, how you implement, and what you do, you call it getting into column A or getting to column A. Mm-hmm. What does that mean, <laughs> and how do brokers get to column A? All right, so I think everybody can relate to RFP hell, right? We've, we've all, all gotten, been there. we've Absolutely. all been there, and generally it was due yesterday. 
Or the day before. Exactly. And why do you think that is? It's because you were a last-minute addition to it. They just needed to fill their quota of having three bids on it. The purchasing department needed another bid. whatever. Or somebody just said, hey, I ran into them on the bus this morning. I'd like to include them. Or perhaps they saw a billboard. So by the time you get the RFP, that purchaser is most likely, and this is this is recorded data, this is fact, that they are more than 75% of the way to their decision. By the time you get this RFP with anywhere from 150 to 1,000 questions. So you are no longer in column A. You're not even in B or C. If you're lucky, you might be at the D or E level, which means you are always having to answer to the standards that A, B, C, and D have already set. And it's a mindset in a company that says, we are going to safeguard our agency. We're going to safeguard our clients, our book of business, our livelihood by putting ourselves in column A where which everybody else has to compare themselves to us. And I know brokers who've actually offered to help their clients go through an RFP process for another broker. And only one has lost the client because the other broker was able to prove themselves But the brokers basically said, why don't you let me help put together the RFP of everything that you need to have happen in your company and then go ahead and go out to bid because they were forced to go out every two years. By the time they finished it, the client said, but this is everything you do for us. Well, hello. That was the whole intent of it. But imagine if you could be as proactive as that and ensure that your clients knew everything you did for them in column A, and everybody else had to match up to you. And the health and welfare plan discussion is going to be a little bit further down in the list than everybody thinks. It's going to be technology, service support. It's going to be that compliance support. What other resources you bring to the table? On-site support could be online enrollment meetings or little videos or podcasts that you offer. So what puts you in column A? Think of over the years of why you've lost clients. Or why you haven't won a bid for a client. What did the other vendor have or offer or said they offered that you didn't? And figure out what your column A is. And it's not even close to what advisors would kind of spew about it today. And does compliance fit in column A to such a degree that it becomes a differentiator if if a prospective client is looking at bids and, and evaluating RFPs? You can't get away from compliance. There is not a business in this world that does not have to pay attention to compliance. And if you're truly doing this to differentiate yourself while at the same time attracting and retaining clients in your livelihood, you have to realize that compliance is or should be very important to your client's success. They don't ever want to have that unfunded liability out there. And it's a challenge because most of your clients are in different industries, And they have different sets of compliance. And so it really forces the agency to think about who their target client is, the sweet spots, the industries that they they service the best, and develop those compliance checklists and action plans in alignment with their clients' needs. With all that said, do you see, I mean, you talk to a lot of advisors and you see a lot of employers. Is there one particular compliance area that's for lack of a better term, low-hanging fruit, that where you see most employers just aren't doing X, that that might be an entry point for an advisor to focus on? All right. So when you said low-hanging fruit, if I'm going to take the time to reach up to the tree, I'm going to reach with both hands. So I'm going to give you two examples. Go for it. (laughs) So number one is worker classification. 
not just the 1099 versus common law employee discussion, which has been under fire now for almost a decade from both the DOL and IRS, but also the exempt versus non-exempt status. And most people don't know that the Fair Labor Standards Act even has subcategories for exemption, where the groups of those who you view as exempt, some might be exempt from just overtime, some might be exempt from both overtime and minimum wage. And most employers do not understand the difference. Now, why does that matter for the benefit side? Because you might not be tracking somebody's hours correctly to make them eligible for benefits. They might not be in an eligible class of employees. And if they're 1099, they might not even be on the radar for benefits, let alone be covered by the employer mandate. The second one are documents, plan documents. Oh, my goodness. Employers truly believe that the certificate of insurance that they get from the carriers satisfies their requirement as a plan sponsor to have a valid plan document, a valid SPD. And most would say, well, why would the carrier give me anything but what would satisfy my requirement? It's because it's not the insurer's requirement. It's the plan sponsor's requirement. So with ERISA, it never stated that an employer had to sponsor a plan, but it said once you walk through that door, you have to have a valid plan document. you got to have a valid uh, summary plan description and all of the other disclosures that go along with it. Those are the two low-hanging fruit. So the question that we always ask when we wrap up these interviews is, where do you see the future in this area, in the near term or in the long term? How do you envision it? Is, is the burden on dealing with compliance and regulatory stuff going to become greater on advisors, lessers are going to change. What do you see? It is only going to be greater, and it's going to be a differentiator. It's going to be a relationship builder. Even though you might think it's something that takes you off task, the relationship building to give your clients peace of mind. We've talked about that for years with benefits. Why you position ancillary disability life policies or, or traditional medical plans, it's to provide your clients with peace of mind. What could provide more peace of mind than knowing that you are not liable for things that you could have fixed? Karen Kirkpatrick, owner of On Your Mark Consulting. Karen, thank you so much for a really engaging interview. I, every time I talk to you, I wish that we had four times the amount of time that we do. Come back. David, really appreciate it. Thank you. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of the Saltzman Group. We work with entrepreneurs, executives, and companies just like you to help shape the shifts in your business. To schedule a 20-minute call to learn more, visit our website at thesaltsmangroup.com or call me directly at 803-386-8005. I'd love to hear from you. And while you're on our site, you can also click the podcast tab for the entire catalog of Shift Shapers episodes and to access some really great special offers. Give me a call at 803-386-8005 and learn how to put the secrets of the Shift Shapers to work in your business. 